0: Welcome to the Piercefield Oliver webcast. I'm Louise Oliver, Director of Piercefield Oliver, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Carol Wells. Now, Carol is a chartered tax advisor. She's also a strategic partner of Piercefield Oliver and looks after many of our clients really, really well. So I'm particularly delighted to have Carol join me today for this discussion. So, Carol and I have worked out actually that between us, we've had over 60 years in the tax and the financial services sector. So, what that means is that we have a wealth of experience and we've worked with many individuals and families over the years. So, this puts us in a really good position uh, to share our thoughts and, and give you guidance on the topic that we're discussing today. So, and we've also managed to sink our wardrobes, which was pure accident. (laughs) So, our topic for today is estate planning essentials. So, we're going to talk through some pointers and provide some guidance and food for thought when you're considering uh, planning your estate. Now, I think that everybody knows that you should have a valid will in place if you possibly can. That's the first starting point. Now, I want to start this discussion talking about the growth in contested wills. Because even if you do have a valid will, they can be contested. And looking at some figures from 2019, we don't have the 2020 figures yet, but in 2019, contested wills were at an all-time high. 188 cases reached the high court. That's a 47% increase on the previous year in 2018. So, Carol, could you tell us what is a contested will and why do people contest them?
1: Right. Well, a contested will is obviously where somebody disagrees with the contents of the will or wants to make a claim that the will hasn't been properly executed or that someone didn't have... um, the required level of mental capacity to make the will in the first place. Um, Other grounds for contesting a will might be that somebody was under undue influence. So perhaps somebody was being forced into making a will that they perhaps wouldn't have otherwise done without that, uh, that influence. And there are then cases where a will is disputed because, Somebody feels that they haven't been properly provided for, and the law sets out a number of situations in which you can make a um, an application to overturn a will or to have it varied. And those uh, are generally if if it can be established that the person didn't have capacity, then that's one ground for um, overturning the will. undue influence, as I said, um, if someone feels that they've been deliberately left out when they should have inherited something, um, that would be another area in which a challenge could be made. And I think it's fair to say that whenever we go through a period of financial uncertainty, the number of contested wills increases. So at the moment, we're going through huge uncertainty. So that it will, will in itself almost certainly lead to a further increase in wills being contested. Um, On the proper execution of wills, um, the pandemic's also thrown up another difficulty for people making wills um, because you have to sign it in the presence of two independent witnesses. And obviously in lockdown, um, that's put people off making wills because although they've wanted to make a will, they've not physically felt able to do so because of the logistical difficulty of if you live on your own, how do you have two witnesses present? Uh, So I suspect that if someone doesn't like the content of a will that's been made in the last 12 months and the person lived alone, they might try to argue that it was never properly executed and therefore it's invalid. So uh, there has been a change in legislation, a temporary change in legislation, just as we've seen many other temporary laws brought in, uh, to do with the execution of wills so that you know you can actually make a will over zoom um, or any other sort of video um, system that there, there are very strict rules in place about how how that has to be done and how long you're allowed before the witnesses sign the will um, but it can be done over zoom if if that's the only solution to actually getting the document signed
0: it's great that, the, that they have been able to relax those laws and so quickly because we've had to live in this virtual world. But what we don't want that to so we want to encourage people to write their wills and not put it off. And the fact that when this lockdown, what you're saying is really people can still get on with that. And do you think, Carol? That I mean, there have been some landmark cases, haven't they? Uh, haven't there to do with contested wills? Now, I was just looking at the, the one of the main landmark cases, which was. Matilda Jackson. This came to the High Court in 2017, and basically, she left 486,000 to three animal charities, and she knew that her daughter, her only daughter, was very likely to contest her will. And she left uh, strict instructions that her lawyers must fight this if that happens. So, this is this is families for you, and a daughter did duly fight. Uh, and contest a will over it took many years, actually. I think she, uh, her mother died in 2002. It didn't come to the High Court until 2017. But without going into a lot, a lot of detail on that, in the end, um, her daughter, who is, uh, who was certainly a mother of five children and living uh, on benefits, was awarded um, 50,000. So actually, when you write a will in good faith, then there is a chance that it could be contested. Um, So I think that leads us on to our next sort of um, talking point, Carolyn, that you need to make sure that your will is valid, don't you? That it reflects your wishes, but also that it's fair. So if you're looking at writing a member of your family out of your will, that could have potential connotations, couldn't it?
1: It could. I I mean, we do still start from the basic premise that we have the freedom in this country to make a will however we want it to be made and only certain categories of people can contest a will so uh, a spouse a dependent relative are uh, the sorts of people who who could could contest a will but the case you referred to with Matilda Jackson does does throw up the possibility now that even an estranged child who isn't financially dependent on the parent could bring a challenge that may well be successful. So I think if um, someone is wishing to write someone out of their will, um, it's very important to include as much information as possible, perhaps in a side, side document, side letter, Uh, setting out their reasons why they've been left out and it may be that they've had a lifetime provision made for them Uh, it may be that other siblings have a greater need Um, there could be all sorts of reasons why you would want to leave someone out of a will could be that they have very significant resources of their own and don't need to inherit um but that's that's Increasingly important to make sure that there is evidence there if if you do want to leave someone out.
0: Yeah, and it supports the whole scenario, doesn't it? Really, and then the family and the people that you've left behind have more chance of being able to demonstrate why why that was the case and why that decision was made. And also with 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 Wills, Carol, it's important to make sure that they're up to date with regards to current legislation and tax, isn't it too?
1: Yeah, um, one of the the important features of a will is it can facilitate a degree of tax planning uh, within the estate. Uh, So a will is really useful if you're wanting to protect reliefs such as business property relief or agricultural property relief um, by using a, a trust within the will you might be able to preserve the benefit of that relief going forward, even if those assets are going to be sold. If you want to leave money to a charity, then you must put that in your will because without, without it going in the will, it's just not going to happen. Um, also, uh, uh, from a tax planning point of view, a will can be really helpful in maximising use of nil rate band allowances and also the residence nil rate band um so you know there are many uses to um uh, to the will structure for maximizing those tax reliefs
0: and how often do you think people should review their wills carol well
1: i i i always say that you should review your will whenever there's um, a significant life event so it might be uh, marriage or divorce, because marriage actually invalidates any previous wills. So, for somebody who is getting married, they need to update their wills to make sure that if if a new will is being done shortly before a marriage, that the will states that it isn't to be revoked by virtue of the marriage. I, if you get divorced, that's often a, a time to review the will and decide what steps you need to take uh, thereafter. Um, Interestingly, as far as the uh, an existing will is concerned, if you get divorced, uh, the uh, ex-spouse is deemed to have died before you as far as the wills concerned. So if they were appointed as an executor, that appointment fails. And if they're included as a beneficiary, they're treated as if they've already died. So divorce in itself uh, doesn't mean that... Um, a surviving, spouse, surviving ex-spouse will still inherit unless a new will is made to reinstate that provision if, in fact, that's what, what the parties want or need. Um, the arrival of grandchildren often triggers a, a time to um, update wills, to make legacies to grandchildren. Um, and people will make wills when probably... Every five five years, as a rule of thumb, is you know, get it out of the drawer, have a look at it, see if anything's changed. There might be some legacies in there that are now out of date uh, that you just want to tidy up and remove.
0: Um, and people change their minds. They do. So really life changes and also um every five years, they're they're sort of good pointers, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I think they're a good rule of thumb as to to when They it. are.
0: I think that's really sensible. And just getting on to blended families, because of course you mentioned divorce and bearing in mind it's not nearly, you know, 50% of marriages do end in divorce. And and therefore we have many blended families many many and often I know some of the families that we work with they're really interested in protecting the bloodline because you know and that's that can be very difficult and also it can cause conflict and fallouts very easily. And do you therefore encourage couples to share their intentions with their immediate family so that people are aware as to as to what's been decided?
1: Yeah, I think, I think especially with blended families, it's, there's always that uh, fear and everybody's got um, a story, it's either a member of their family or a friend of a friend, you know, dad remarried and uh, children from his first marriage then didn't see any of the estate when he died because it all went to second wife and her family. So we we see lots of or hear lots of those sorts of stories when we're taking instructions for for making a new will. And, you know, undoubtedly that that does sometimes happen. So I think if some if we're dealing with a situation where we've got a couple who've got children of their own from previous relationships, they may have children together as well. it's very important to look at the wills to see what's fair to both sides and to manage everyone's expectations. And you know that can be done quite effectively through trusts within a will. And I think when people know what you know what's expected to happen going forward, um, that's less likely to lead to a contested will. Um, but as a, as a rule of thumb, I always, I have a stock phrase that I use when I'm talking to families about making wills, and that's that death, family and money are a hugely toxic mix. So it's it's very important to deal with it properly because you can't rely on people playing happy families after someone's died.
0: No, that's so too, Carol. and I know you and I have come across many a situation where perhaps we haven't been involved early enough with the families and you do get this fallout, you know, almost a funeral time, you know, it's, it's, it's about money. it's about lack of planning, lack of foresight, lack of understanding. And I do actually chair meetings as a neutral person in, in a family situation, we call it our family office, where we can actually have a discussion about where we are now, the intentions of the family, the couple. And often that really brings, if if you can do it, it really brings the family closer together. And when eventually something does happen, then there's no surprises. The worst thing is there's a surprise and there's a big family fallout. And at a time when emotions are high anyway. So I think my advice from, from my experience over the years is, don't avoid the subject people avoid the subject of talking about money in families don't avoid the subject grab it and if something needs to be done deal with it if you can and bring if you can't deal with it as a family bring a neutral party in to have that discussion with you to get it right
1: yeah and i think that that's one of the reasons why there's only a very small percentage of people actually make a will because they don't want to have that discussion they don't want to have that thought process of how, how are we going to deal with this slightly tricky situation whereas if they actually got some proper advice on it um, you know the whole situation would be a lot more straightforward and I think that there's also a lot of naivety about um how estates are actually administered and You know, time and time again, we hear uh, people assuming that if they die, everything will go to the husband or wife, uh, which isn't always the case. And people assume that if they are cohabiting with someone, that the cohabitee is treated as a a spouse. So, you know, and that's not true. Um, So there's a lot of of myth-busting to do uh, uh, in terms of, people's perception of how their affairs would be dealt with. And it's it often comes as a big surprise to people that you know everything won't go to the wife, husband or wife or everything wouldn't go to their common law spouse.
0: Yeah. And there's also tax, isn't there, Carol? Because if you're not a married couple and many couples are not getting married these days, if you're not married, there's likely to be some inheritance tax. And, and most people do not know that. And I think what I find is once they've addressed it, and it's not a long-winded or even potentially an expensive process to go through to have a review of where you're at. And people feel a sense of relief that they've dealt with it and they can get on with it. And they might have a few surprises, yes, that they were not aware of, but um, I do really encourage people to grab it and, and and get on with it.
1: Well, it is a basic essential if, you, if your estate is over the inheritance tax threshold. And if, if you've got a couple who are living together and they're both around about, you know, at the, the level of the nil rate band, if they don't get married and they just leave everything to each other, then there's certainly going to be a tax charge on the second death because they've doubled up the estate value.
0: Yeah. And what I find is people realise this often when it's almost too late and one party of the couple is not well and likely to pass away. And this is why... There is, um, you know, sadly, the occurrence of marriages on, on a deathbed, basically, where people are thinking, I've got to get my will written because I've realized it's going to be taxed and I really want to provide for my partner. So it's there's all sorts of things. And just getting that review would highlight any of these circumstances. Yeah. And then just moving on to potential conflicts as well, because, um, I mean, I act as trustee and executor. I'm sure you do, Carol, for for quite a few people. And um, it's, um, it's it's quite it can be quite a difficult um, task. It's not to be underestimated. Um, you have to deal with it carefully, of course. Now, one of the things that often comes up is the person that's passed away doesn't leave a note as to what their wishes are. And that's to do with, and I know it's morbid to talk about it, to do with what sort of funeral did they want? What music would they like? How would it be you a know, big party or small affair? Or... And I find that that even causes conflict because the family start arguing about, well, I, I, I think that they wanted a small do and then another party might say they wanted a the big party. And so do you encourage people, if they can, to at least leave some kind of a note and where would that be kept? How Who would have that?
1: I, well, the, f- the first thing to bear in mind is the responsibility for organising the funeral is with the executors. So it's actually their decision about how the funeral takes place, so although a lot of wills do include funeral instructions, they don't necessarily have to be adhered to, so you know and people do like you say do get very wound up about how the funeral should be uh should be organized um so yeah i w- I would encourage people to. Put their wishes either in the will or in a side letter to the executors. There's no guarantee that the executors will actually deal with the will, uh, the funeral in that way. Um, but at least if the if their wishes have been set out or at least talked about, um, then you know there's a hopefully a, a good chance that they will get the sort of funeral that they actually want. Uh, but it, it's a difficult. Some people find it a very difficult subject to uh, address. Um, I, I know we had a conversation earlier about our own respective wishes and you know, sort of the sort of music that we'd we'd have. So I, I think doing it while you are fit and well and able to think about it pragmatically, without the sort of threat of it being an imminent event makes it a bit more lighthearted. Um, you can have a bit
0: of fun with it, can't you, Carol? I don't know. We're yeah. I'd like to think that we're relatively young and we were talking about it and I've decided, you know, big party, wonderful world, Louis Armstrong, anybody listening. Uh so it's 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 have a bit of fun, write it down. And it does I have to say, it does reduce that conflict. Yeah. Um,
1: and it, it, it avoids people being left in a situation where they just don't know what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, at the moment, it's very difficult to organise any sort of funeral that's uh, you know, more than just a handful of people. Um, but when we do hopefully return to normal times or more normal times, um, people will start to pay more attention to perhaps larger gatherings. We might even see some memorial services uh, you know, taking place to, to remember those who... Who've died in the last 12 months who haven't had proper funerals?
0: It's been very difficult, hasn't it? Yeah. And just, um, just as a sort of a final uh, topic, Carol, just some basic, basic tax planning—really basic tax planning. If people have an inheritance tax liability on their estate, just, just straightforward stuff. What, what can people do about that? They,
1: they can look at lifetime gifting. Um, but obviously, that that needs them to survive for seven years for it to be exempt from inheritance tax. Uh, you could look at tax-efficient investments if someone's over the threshold, which may need uh, require survivorship for a much shorter period. So that's more sort of very later life planning. Uh, looking if if the estate is just breaching the threshold to qualify for the residence nil-rate band, creating a discretionary trust to go in the will of the first spouse to die might enable the estate to be slightly below the threshold so that we get the full relief on the second death yeah. uh, for the residence nil-rate band. Um, using gifts to, to charity, so if if someone is already quite philanthropic, making sure that they leave of the taxable estate to charity might enable them to reduce the rate of inheritance tax on the rest of the estate by 4%. So if somebody's already leaving a significant legacy to charity, just do the numbers on that and work out how much more would be needed, uh, if anything, to gift to charity in order to reduce the uh, the rate of tax payable on the rest. And I've certainly seen cases where you know giving slightly more to charity has resulted in the other beneficiaries increasing what they're going to receive
0: makes sense then doesn't it to do it yeah. if
1: that's the case I've, I've seen that done by a deed of variation after someone's died when we've looked at the numbers and said yeah. well, actually if we increase the gift to charity slightly uh, we will actually pay less our, uh, less inheritance tax ourselves
0: yeah I mean, there are there are all sorts of ways to consider. So, some are not for all, um, but it's just worthwhile having a look at some of the very simple ways of reducing your liability to yeah. inheritance tax. So I think that's it really. Um, so I think we'll I think we'll wrap up there, Carol. I think in summary, what we're saying to people is do talk about it. Have a plan. If you haven't got a will, write a will. If you have got one, have a look at it. Shake, shake the dust off it, and make sure that it still applies to you. You can have a review of it to make sure that it does. As a family, if you are able to talk about your intentions, do it and make a note about your personal wishes. So I think that's that's sort of the, the thrust of it, really. And going back to the fact that wills can be contested, so it's good to get it right before it even gets anywhere near that. And with regards to contested wills, those are just the ones that have gone to court. They don't all get that far. So, you know, it's probably higher than the numbers that we're actually saying oh, certainly,
1: today. Certainly will be. Yeah.
0: yeah. So thanks so much for joining me today, Carol. It's been fantastic to have you on our webcast. We hope that our viewers and listeners of got something from that I Found found interesting and informative. We will be running more webcasts in the future. So if there's any topics that you'd like us to talk about, please let us know and we'll cover those if we possibly can. So in the meantime, stay safe and well and keep smiling. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me along.